0: i just got to know, how many of you have cravings? Chocolate cravings? How many of you crave ice cream? I am genetically predisposed to crave ice cream. My father has ice cream every night. It's his fault that I crave ice cream. Now, do any of you ever, um, do you have the the sweet and then salty cravings, or salty then sweet cravings? You know, you'll be pigging out on your ice cream, whatever, and then you get finished and you're full, but you've got to have something salty yeah right those are deep deep longings when um uh, when Janie was pregnant with our first two um, with Caleb and rachel they uh she she craved fried shrimp, no matter where we went fried shrimp and and fried shrimp all the time. I was like yes baby i 'll get you fried shrimp with Hannah though it was mashed potatoes and gravy from Kentucky fried chicken, not the chicken. I would drive across town i don 't know how many times I drove across town and and I got one order of of mashed potato and gravy from Kentucky Fried Chicken for my pregnant wife because that's what good husbands do is they provide for their wives. All of God's creatures crave something. For some reason, my cats crave moles that are in my front yard. And I love it because they kill them, but they bring them and they leave them on my front porch. And they'll eat parts of it and they'll leave parts of it. And, you know, they want me to see it and Janie to see it they they crave snakes they they crave squirrels now they haven't caught a squirrel yet but they're trying and for some reason my dog craves my cats all of god's creatures crave something some of our cravings are are superficial you know like some of those food cravings but some of those cravings are deep soul longing type issues like like the the desire to connect with another human being the desire for love and uh, the desire simply some of us have a desire just for a date Um, I don't know how that got there. I, Nathan is our drummer. I, I don't Where are you, Nate? I, <laughs> this is E Harmony. And uh if you would like to, um, I was looking at Nate today when he's playing the drums. He's got those big guns and he's just a good looking man. And, and, uh, we're, we're praying for Nate, a mate, um, what? What? <laughs> We're praying for a heterosexual. Um... Okay, let's move on. We'll cover that another day. Now, while most of us either fight our cravings or, um, or give in to those cravings, very few of us ever spend any time thinking about where our cravings come from, where our deepest soul-level cravings come from. And, and if you stop to think about it, the answer to where those come from is probably going to surprise you. And, and if you've been here any uh, at all in this series, you know that where those cravings come from are the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit placed those desires, those, those soul-level cravings in us when they created us. Now, um, one of the reasons we're studying this whole topic is to better understand the Trinity because then we can better understand who we are. And I want you to watch this video. This is another um, on-the-street interview where people are asked who Jesus was and, and a lot of people don't know. Check this out. Who do you say Jesus was? I have no idea. Who was Jesus? Gosh, I have to start with I'm not sure. Who was Jesus to you? Some guy. Actually, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not really sure exactly who Jesus was. I think Jesus was uh, was a was kind of a cool guy back in his day. Who was Jesus to you? I think I'm done. I don't like to talk about it. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Who do you think Jesus was or is? Uh, Jesus was a historical figure. I believe that Jesus Christ was a man who had an extraordinary ability to link in with the creator. I think he was a uh, definitely someone that people, you know, a good role model. I, I do think he had a lot of great ideas. More or less, he was just a prophet, which is just... A messenger of God. Sort of a revolutionary in his day. Jesus was an amazing man. I don't believe he's God's son. I just believe he's a person. As to his, like, godlike quality, I'm not totally sold on that. You think he was a prophet? And I would, see, I'd have to be a Christian to really believe that. Jesus was the Messiah for... Some people, and for some people, he wasn't. I'm not necessarily sure if Jesus was the Messiah or a prophet, but in either case, he was somebody that spoke the word of God. He was equal portions of of human and, uh, and that energy that is God. People said he was sent by God. Well, no one, God doesn't send him down. You don't go on up. <laughs> I mean, you... He linked in. I mean, I do believe in Jesus in the sense of like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That I'm, I'm not saying that he, he didn't exist or anything of the sort, but the fact that, um, I mean, I necessarily don't go and uh, pray to Jesus. Who was Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. I believe Jesus is the Son of God who came to save us all from our sins. Jesus was a Savior. He died for our sins and cleaned us, made us pure enough to enter God's glory. The um, only way you can get to heaven, who do you think Jesus is? Um, who do I think he is? I, I don't think he's who he was. I think he still is Jesus, so... He's not gone or anything, you know, I guess embodied technically he is, but he's still here. The Jesus story sort of borders on history and myth for me, Um, but I don't believe that it could have permeated our culture so fully and for so long if there was nothing to that. Now, the whole reason we're studying the Trinity is so that you will understand if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are a Trinitarian. You believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And and we're going to see as we continue this series that God designed us with certain cravings. The very first craving that, that God put in us is the craving for unity. That's on your listening guide, craving for unity. Have you ever stopped to wonder why every human being craves this idea of, of togetherness without chaos? That's because God created us that way. If you look at creation, you'll see that God is a God of order. Everything He created in the universe goes together. And, and if you study anything about Scripture, every time in Scripture that you see God doing something, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they work together, they move together, they rescue together, they counsel together. They do all of these things, no matter what it is, in perfect unity. And this makes sense because if you if you read in the Old Testament, if you study anything about the Jews, you understand that they have a great saying called the Shema. It's one of the great sayings of the Jewish nation, and it comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God revealed to us in three persons. We're going to study some more about that today. Now this craving for unity was stamped in the DNA of every human being when God said in Genesis 1.26, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. We studied this a couple of weeks ago. The us and the our in this verse are plurals of the word majesty. So God counsels together and creates humans different than anything else. Humans were the last thing created. God went through the whole universe and then created humans. They were the last ones. They were the only ones with the designation in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, humans have this capacity. You know, there's several things it means, but we have this capacity to be uh, rational, creative, expressive. And I said, can be, because we can also be irrational, Irrational, we can also be destructive and offensive with our language. But anytime we are rational, we are creative, we are unified, we are expressive, we are reflecting the image of God who created us in His image. Every time I have a desire to connect with another human being, I'm reflecting the Trinity. Anytime you want to connect with anyone, your, your, your wife, your spouse, your children, uh, a small group, at work, any other human being, when you have a desire to connect with them that was put in you by your Creator and you are reflecting the Trinity. Um, this desire, this whole idea to be connected is reflected in the in the idea of marriage. And marriage even comes from the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, for this reason... Now, here's the deal. For this reason. What reason? For the purpose of unity. The reason marriage was even created in the first place, uh, God looked down in the Garden of Eden and saw that Adam was alone. The only thing in the Garden of Eden that was not good was Adam was alone. So God created woman to correspond to his needs, not to be lower than him, but to be equal with him and correspond to his needs. And so for this reason, the reason of unity that was built into our DNA A man will leave his father and mother. This is some of the best counsel anybody can ever have. Men, when you get married, you leave your mama and your daddy. We're going to have a ceremony whenever we have our our kids uh, when they get married. And there's going to be a snipping of the apron uh, strings. You leave your mom and your dad. The wisest thing Janie's mom ever said to her was, don't you ever... Bring anything back bad about your husband. Don't you talk bad about your husband to me. I will not have it. And I was like, great, because there's so much topic there. There's so much ground to cover. And, and Louise and I were great friends because Janie never told her all of that stuff. For this reason, unity, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The purpose of marriage is for one man, one woman, to be united and, and the, that's reflected in the sex act, but it's also reflected emotionally and psychologically and physically. All of those things. No one goes into marriage thinking, man, I hope this marriage fails and, and, uh, inflicts irreparable damage on me and the rest of my family for the rest of our days. Nobody thinks like that unless they're an idiot. And, well, I know a few, but, um, nobody intentionally wrecks their marriage. What they do is they get married thinking, I want to I want this relationship with this other human being to bring me joy for the rest of my life. But the only way, I'm going to tell you, the only way that ever happens is if the man and the woman are unified. Disunity messes things up. God's gift of sex, the the physical act of oneness is a shadow of the Trinity. And sex, sex is so much more than just the physical act. It's emotions. It's psychological. It's physical. And, and there's all these different spiritual dimensions of sex as well. And, and, uh, the reason God reserved this, this act for marriage is because it's so powerful. It has so many implications. When a uniquely man and a uniquely woman come together in the sex act, they are actually honoring God and they are reflecting the Trinity. But when you're not married and you involve, you get engaged in, in sex, Outside of the marriage bonds, you are trashing the Trinity. You are disregarding God's order. God has placed over us authority. This Bible is His authority. The Bible says to have sex one man, one woman in a marriage relationship. Because see, when, when a husband and wife have sex, there is no guilt. There is no shame. When someone who's not married has sex, why do you think, why do you think it doesn't bring you together? Because you're going against God's word and it does not bring unity. In fact, it, it drives you away from unity when you have sex other than how God intended for you to have sex. But it's more than just married people. So, so let's, let's just declare that right here. We're going to keep a holy thing holy. The teaching of this church is sex is one man, one woman, Nate, I know you find me attractive too, but one man, one woman for a lifetime. So let's keep this holy. All right. The official teaching of New Life Community Church, marriage, uh, sex is in marriage, one man, one woman, reflecting the oneness, oneness of the Trinity for a lifetime. But this whole lot, that desire for oneness goes beyond the marriage relationship. It's in the family. Why do you think that... um Janie and I desire unity when we go on a trip in our little Honda Civic. The five members of my family. We desire unity. We desire oneness. Unity works. Disunity in a Honda Civic causes the driver to lose his ever loving mind. Don't you make me stop this car. I will beat the love of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit into you. In the name of Jesus. Cast out those demons. Sorry, I get kind of... Unity works. Why do you think children try to divide their parents? Because it's so much easier. The greatest thing my mom ever said to me... Now, see, I'm the youngest of four. I was way younger, way younger. So so much younger than the others that my parents... My dad told me he didn't think the equipment still worked. Um And so they were quite shocked when I was born. And the greatest thing my mom ever said to me... Because my parents were worn out. My oldest brother, trouble. My next brother, he was good, but he was... Kind of devious. My sister, trouble. And then when I came along, my parents were tired. So I got zero discipline, especially if it's Dad. If Mom went out of town, Dad and I partied. And the greatest thing Mom could ever say to me was, go ask your father. And I'm like, are you serious? Dad always said yes. So Mom would always say no, and I would have to try to figure out how I could divide and conquer them. Unity works. Unity works. Janie and I don't pull that trash. You, you, you don't say to one of us, hey, mom said this, what do you think? We will beat the daylights out of your backside with a paddle if you try to pull that trash. You understand, I'm not, we don't beat our children one or two swats, but they are effective swats. Big blue. You can use both hands on big blue and drive the spirit of foolishness far from your child. this desire for unity is everywhere. Why do you think guys like sports? Now, we're competitive and we're stupid, but, but beyond that, there is a desire for connection. Have you ever watched a, a, a press conference when somebody in the NFL, some big star, retires? It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Because they're talking about a game. And... <laughs> this game has meant everything. To... And you're going, Dang. Chill, dude. But here you, you you interview them a few weeks later or maybe a year later after the next season has started and you, and you say, what do you miss most about the game? I've, I've never heard anybody answer any different. You know what they miss the most? The camaraderie of being with the team, of hanging out with the guys. When I went to my 10-year high school reunion, my football, our football team, my senior year, is the, it was the first time in 19 years, Borgers stunk in football. So first time in 19 years, we went district, and that was back before every team in the district went to the playoffs, you know, so this was like a pure playoff system. And so we won district, first time in 19 years. And so my 10-year reunion, what, who do you think got together over in the corner? The football team. You remember when we played love against the Yeah. And it's just stupid. Just, our wives were like, yeah, go go talk, have your little football stuff. You know, they're over there, whatever. And I missed my 20-year reunion, but you know what I bet those guys were doing? Talking about that team. My 30-year reunion, and I'm ancient, that's why I have no hair. Um, Jeff has white hair, uh, but at least it's hair. I have no hair. Um, at my 30-year reunion, you know what's going to happen? I can tell you. Todd Mahard, Cedric Love, Chris Tootin. David Wright, we're all going to get together in a corner and we're going to relive the glory days. Why? Because that was the last time those, that group of guys was together and we were a team. It was sweet being part of a team. Everybody longs for unity. Now, we crave this, this idea of unity, and that's a reflection of the Trinity, the way God created us. But we have a second craving, and that's the craving for diversity. This also comes from the Trinity. Go back to marriage. I'm one of a kind. I'm uniquely male. Janie is one of a kind. She's uniquely female. When we got married, she didn't lose her personality. I didn't lose my personality. What what God says is the two become one. We begin to make our decisions together. We are still have unique responsibilities and, and uh, unique personalities. Those things, when they're combined in a biblically functioning marriage... It causes my personality to flourish. It causes her personality to flourish. Our strengths correspond with each other's weaknesses. It's almost as if God designed it that way. Well, He did. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam was alone, He he created woman to correspond to his needs. Where Adam was weak, He provided a woman to have strengths. Where the woman was weak, God provided Adam to have strengths. There is diversity in unity. Now, can you just imagine if if our church was a bunch of droids? Go ahead and put that up there, Danielle. What is this from? Movie trivia. Star Wars. Can you imagine if, if our church were just a bunch of droids? That would be so cool. <laughs> well, here's the problem with that, and I think this is the problem with organized religion over at least the last 50 to 60 years is you had to dress a certain way in order to be accepted in churches, at least the churches I grew up in. You had to think a certain way. You had to stop doing certain things and do other certain things. You had to have the same type of attitude about everything. You had to change and become part of the droid army in order to be accepted in the church. The the problem is, when we did that, we lost all of the God-given diversity. And we became boring. You want to know why a lot of people don't go to church? It's the most boring place on the face of the planet. That should not happen. God is a creative God. He's unified, but He's also diverse. You long for someone to recognize your contribution in life and, and to, to pat you on the back. The church is supposed to be that place. If it doesn't happen in your family, the church is supposed to be a brand new spiritual family that will actually last longer than your physical family. If your mom and dad are jacked up, then you come to church and God can provide other people in your life that can love you and encourage you and watch you change. Because God comes on the inside through the power of the Holy Spirit and changes you from the inside out. You need other brothers and sisters? The church is it. Now, we're jacked up too, but we love each other anyway, and we're working to become better people, more reflective of Jesus Christ. We will not be a droid army. You see, this diversity comes from the Trinity. God the Father is not the Son. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are very unique, very diverse, but they are unified in one God. Each person of the Trinity has different responsibilities. God the Father does different stuff than God the Son. God the Son does different stuff than the Holy Spirit. Different responsibilities, but the same purpose. The church should reflect that. We ought to be the most diverse place on the face of the planet. But it's not always like that. We should be unified and diverse. Now, you've heard forever that, that uh snowflakes are very individual. Each one, no two snowflakes are alike. And and I love snow. One of the things my kids like about going to Borger to see my parents is it's still cold up there and it'll snow sometime. And, and what I love are those big, fat snowflakes that come down. Each one of them is, is unique as it comes down. And each one of them by itself doesn't do much damage. But you stick enough snowflakes together, they can stop traffic. That's what the church is supposed to do. Unique individuals... Coming together, not to stop, but to change the world. We we definitely don't need to stop traffic out here, so don't don't use that analogy when you pull out of the parking lot today. Now, if you go back to creation, you're going to see this diversity in the the Trinity, in the Holy Spirit, in the Father and the Son. Uh, Remember we said that the Old Testament is a black and white image of the Trinity? Well, let's go all the way back to Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you just believe the first four words of the Bible, you don't have trouble believing anything else in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, when we go to the New Testament, it becomes this vivid uh, technicolor image of the Trinity. Look what it says in Colossians 1, 15, and 16. Christ is the vi- visible image of the invisible God. Now here, you got to understand this. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. So through Jesus, God brought about the creation of the world. Okay, there's Father, there's Son. Where's the Holy Spirit? Back to Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty. As God begins the creative process, as Jesus Christ is involved in the creative process, look what happens. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was active in the creation of the world as well. So we see the Trinity in creation. But if you begin to study this, every major act of God involves the Trinity. Let me give you just one other example. In the uh, baptism of Jesus Christ, remember he comes to John the Baptist at the Jordan River and, and he says, I need to be baptized. And John says, oh, I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals. You should baptize me. Jesus says, allow it for now. In the physical incarnation, that's what we call when Jesus came to the earth and he wore flesh. That's the incarnation. In the physical incarnation of Jesus, we have God the Son. And then after he baptizes, after John baptizes him, he comes up out of the water and you hear God the Father say, this is my Son, my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Where's the Holy Spirit? We're told then that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus Christ like a dove. you got the Trinity there. Every major act of of God. When Jesus came, when He became a man, you have God the Father sending Him, God the Holy Spirit implanting the embryo in, in Mary's womb. Every major act of God involves the Trinity. Now, just because they are different and have different responsibilities does not mean that one is inferior to another. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons get this wrong because they misunderstand the Trinity. The founders just could not understand this concept of one God revealing Himself in three persons. So they rejected the revelation of Scripture and the founders came up with their own understanding and and they say, both of those say that Jesus Christ is inferior to God. If you are a Christ follower, a Christian, you cannot hold to that position because of what the Bible says. Just because one of them submits to another does not imply that one is inferior or that another is superior. The Son voluntarily voluntarily submits to the Father. That doesn't mean He's inferior. The Holy Spirit voluntarily submits to the Father and the Son. That does not mean that they are inferior. The Bible tells us that they are equal, they are all God, and every one of them has the attributes of God. So we say that they are co-equal. Now let's go back to marriage. Many times I have voluntarily submitted to Janie because she has expertise in areas that I don't have. Many times she has voluntarily submitted to me when I have ideas or things that I think I'm uh, expertise that I find I'm not. But she will voluntarily submit to me until I discover that I don't have those that expertise. But when we do that, marriage works because unity works. In Ephesians 5.21, the Bible tells us, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Voluntarily submitting to one another reflects the Trinity. Submission is a good thing because it's a God thing. Now, I told you earlier that God is a God of order. And and you got to remember that. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.3. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Oh, I can't believe you're going to talk about that dreaded S word. Well, you got to remember, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, it says submit to who? One another out of reverence for Christ, or you could even put in there the Trinity, because the Trinity does it. Just because Janie voluntarily submits to me does not mean she's inferior to me. When I submit to her, I am not inferior to her. I'm just... I'm I'm just acknowledging that she might have more knowledge in a certain area than I do. God is a God of order and He has placed the husband in the responsibility, the leadership responsibility in the home. Ladies, if you want to trash the Trinity, then you do not submit to your husband. You grab the reins and you bow up and you verbally abuse him or maybe physically abuse him. You are trashing the Trinity. Men, you want to trash the Trinity, then you don't take... Uh, leadership responsibility at home. You run from it. You abdicate that responsibility to someone else, and you trash the Trinity. God is a God of order, and so God always has a chain of command. If you want to disregard the Bible, then you're disregarding God, and you are you are actually projecting chaos on your marriage and on your family. God has placed this order of of, of command, and it's Christ is the head of the of the man. The man is the head of the woman. And guess what, teenagers? Your parents are in authority over you. <laughs> your parents are in authority over you. Now, check this out. Before God, the Bible says that we are all equal. But God has a chain of command. And if you want to bring cursings and chaos into your life, disregard what your parents have to say. Now, we could, we could share some of these testimonies, but, but we won't, just for time's sake. But have you known people who have married someone that their parents said, don't marry them? And I'm not talking about, you know, jacked up psycho parents. I'm talking about parents that just have this vibe that you shouldn't marry that person. How'd that work out? I hated the fact that my mom always knew whether I should be dating somebody. I hated the fact. Sometimes I would continue to date them just to show her that she would never have control over my life. But in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to break up with that girl because mom, dang it, mom. And, and one of the reasons I never took a girl home until Janie, I was like, mom ain't going to like her. And, and it was, and I wasn't ever that serious about anybody until I took Janie home. And, and when she met my family, they immediately fell in love with her. I was planning to propose to her, but I wouldn't propose to my wife until she met the family, until I, I got the okay. Jenny didn't know I was about to propose to her. That was a big test, baby. You passed. Good thing I'd already bought the ring. That would have been a bit of bad luck. You, you submit because God has this chain of command. Wherever you work, there's a chain of command. It doesn't mean that the CEO is superior to you, but you probably should submit if you want to keep your job. And when when a when a church or when a job situation, some work setting, whenever there is a chain of command and you voluntarily submit to one another, it works better. God designed it that way. So you have a craving for unity. It comes from the Trinity. You have a craving for dessert, diversity. Dessert. Diversity. It comes from the Trinity. It's getting about lunchtime. But there's a third craving that you also have, and that's equality. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal. That means they've always existed in this perfect unity. They are perfectly equal. You never hear any situation in the Bible, you never hear one of them running out the door and yelling, shotgun, so I can sit in the front seat. The Holy Spirit doesn't squabble over stupid things like that. Only my children do. Um... We used to do it too. Shotgun! And and the, the rules of shotgun are finite. They're closed. You have to see the car before you can yell shotgun. If you yell it in the house, it does not count. And mom or dad, who, I don't think Jane even lets them play it. She's like, That's stupid. <laughs> Galatians 3.28. This equality thing comes straight from the Bible. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one in Christ Jesus. There are no designations of male or female before God, of skin color before God. Because see, in the, in the Jewish mind, there were Jews and then everybody else was Greeks and everybody else was outside of God's blessing. But in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ ripped down the wall that was a separation between Jews and Greeks. And praise God he did because you and I would not be in the family of God if Jesus hadn't torn down that wall and wiped out all designation. Now see, I don't understand why we discriminate based on skin color. Racism is a sin before God. Let me just explain this. Do you realize that all of us have skin? That's a good thing. But it makes up about five pounds of our bodies. Now, do you realize how stupid it is to discriminate based on five pounds? What if we said, we're going to kill everybody who's five pounds overweight? Well, holy crap, I'm dead twice. I'm 10 pounds overweight. I'm dead because I'm overweight. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? Well, so it's just as stupid to discriminate because someone has a different skin color. But that's not all the prejudice that goes on in our world. There's rich and there's poor, or we wouldn't call it that. We call the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots... By the way, you never think someone has a lot Who's in the same um, uh, salary category as you? If you make forty thousand dollars a year, you never think that someone else that makes forty thousand dollars a year uh, is materialistic. Oh, yeah. You think someone who makes fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars is materialistic? Walk into their house, must be nice. Dang, if I had another twenty-five thousand dollars, right? You become materialistic because we're jealous. This. Yay that you have more than me. All of us have piles of stuff. Some of us got big piles. Woohoo! Some of us got medium-sized piles. Yeah! Some of us can't find our piles right now, but we'll get back to you. But there's this idea of equality. And, and here it is. You want to see equalities come, that should be in the church? God says, give 10%. Because 10% makes us all equal. If you make a million dollars a year, 10% is $100,000. That's a lot of money. That's 10%. You make $100,000, 10,000, I'm I'm pretty good at math. 10,000 is 10%. That's a lot of money. You know what I could do with that? Yeah. You could buy a big screen TV. And then 10 10 years, two years from now, you'll probably be buying another one. If you make 50,000, it's 5,000. If you make nothing, you know what 10% of nothing is? God never expects you to give something you do not have. This 10% thing puts us on equal footing. And in the typical church, 20% of the people who come tithe. 20% give give 10% of their income. Do you know what could happen in any church if everybody who came, who said they were a Christ follower, tithed? We've got a quarter million dollar, it sounds a lot more, $250,000 loan on this building. Do you know how fast we could pay this building off if everybody tithed, if everybody was equal? Just a thought. Everyone here is equal. If you don't believe it, if a natural disaster, let's say that Hurricane Ike just spins back around. (laughs) No, yeah, and comes again, but this time it completely wipes out Anderson County. Every house is flooded, demolished. Nobody cares what you used to drive. Nobody cares where you used to live or what you used to swim in. We're all in deep weeds, right? Disaster doesn't care about skin color or education or financial ability. Neither does God. Neither does our church. We believe that the church should be a reflection of the Trinity, which means we are unified, we're diverse, we're equal before God. And <laughs> the reason our church sometimes hit bumps, hits bumps, and gets stalled is because not everybody's fully engaged. The Bible says if you're a follower of Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. Some of you are not engaged in the church in your area of gifting. You're not using your spiritual gifts. And so what, what the reality is, you're ripping off the church and you're ripping off the Trinity because you're not engaged. You're not fully engaged. In 1 Corinthians 12, and, and if you've been to church at any amount in, in your background, you know the teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the, the church is like a body. Many members, um, but one body, and you know he talks about the different parts of the body. Well just just imagine that my nostril decides it's going to retire. Just checks out. Now can you imagine my foot? My foot go, you're pretty worthless nostril. Go ahead and retire. We don't give a rip. You don't do anything. Take up space and run, sneeze. You just you're worthless. But imagine I'm riding around on my lawnmower, branch comes down and rips my nostril off my head. Does the rest of my body then care? Oh yeah, my foot is running me to the hospital. Sew this thing back on! Right? Okay, you get the idea. (laughs) All of us have different roles. Some of you are nostrils. You're big fat boogers, no. Um, Some of you are feet. Some of your hands, some of you are, are legs, some of your backs, some of your butts. We have way too many butts in this church. Thank you. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect that. I've never seen a spiritual gift from God that sits on its butt week after week. I can't find that in Scripture. There's no spiritual gift of butt sitting. I just want to say that as many times as I can in this sermon. Some people some people are better at at things than others. I was a uh, church music major at Baylor University. Cuz I felt God call me into ministry when I was 17 and and I could sing. That's all I did was sing. And so I thought I was supposed to be a worship leader. And uh I have seen that job and I never want to go there again. And I did all of the classes and did very well. Very, very well in, in church music. And I can play the guitar. I can read music. I can play the piano a little bit. And then I come around somebody like Wes. Dude is phenomenal at so many different instruments. And I've told him before, you are gifted by God. Because that is not normal what you can do. I was, I was a music major. I, I sang in choirs. I did all of the theory classes. I did all of the, the stupid juries where you had to sing or play the piano in front of three judges. You know, it's just stupid stuff. But i at Baylor University, which has a very nice music school, Wes would have topped them all. Because he's gifted by God. So, I submit to Wes when it comes to the area of music. There are people back in our children's area. My wife is incredible with children. I submit to her in the area of children. Sandy Gleason is back there with babies week after week, and you've never seen a woman who can handle screaming babies like she can. And by the time you get finished, they're not screaming anymore. I submit to her in the area of of babies. Our church will function better if people will will discover their spiritual gift and get engaged. We are equal before God. God's going to hold me responsible for whether I do my job. He's going to hold you responsible for whether you do your job. And when we do our jobs, we reflect the Trinity. And then the people outside these walls go, there's something different there. It must be God. I think I want to get in on that. Why, why a lot of people aren't wanting to go to a lot of churches? There's not a whole lot of the Trinity there. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm talking about unity, diversity, and equality. You remember what Jesus said to His disciples? He said, The watching world will know that you are Christ's followers by your what? Your love for one another. You can't love someone you don't know. If you come on Sunday mornings, you can't possibly know anybody else in this church other than on a superficial level. So get involved. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, start serving somewhere. Janie started in the in the first through fifth graders just because we didn't have anybody there. I mean, there was it was a need, so she said, I'll serve wherever. She started there. She did great there. And then somebody else took that over, Jen took that over, and then Jenny came down to the 18 to three year olds, eighteen month to three year olds. Loved it. Experiment. Move around. And here's here's a news flash. If we don't have a ministry that corresponds to your spiritual gifts, guess what? In, In all seriousness, maybe the reason God put you at new life is to start something new. Just thought.